Welcome back to another episode of Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. I'm with my reckless co-host, Mario Sikora. <laughs> Mario Jose is not in the house, so we get to uh, we get to be ridiculous. Um, <laughs> we ate all the lucky charms. Now we're now we're eating ice cream, you know, right <laughs> yeah, out of the right out of the container with a spoon. Ugh, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> We each have a gallon in hand, if you can see us now. Um, <laughs> Dripping down into the beards yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an um, ugly sight. So I'm sure we're all wondering, Mario, uh, you never talk about what you like in ice cream. Um, what's your favorite ice cream? We all want to know. Is it chocolate or vanilla? <laughs> well, you know, given the choice between those two, I would probably lean toward chocolate. But yeah, I'll course. tell you, the best best ice cream I ever had was uh, my my second son just started college at Penn State, and they have this amazing ice cream place there that uh, they have this. I don't even remember what it was called, but they only have like five or six flavors. And man, mm. it is some tasty, tasty stuff. So <laughs> shout out to the uh, Penn State Creamery. There it is. What you don't remember at all? What was in the ice cream? I, there was peanut butter. There was uh, you know some butterscotch. There were there were different things. I'll, I, I'm going up there in a few weeks. I'll give a full report. Uh, okay, all right. You know, at a future <laughs> episode. That's you have that to look forward to, audience. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, you know, if you're bored if of any grim content and us talking about yeah. epistemology, um, <laughs> ice cream. <laughs> So today we're going to talk about epistemology. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, so Mara, you sent this document, document, document yeah. a while ago. The first principles of your of the ATA model. Why did you feel the need to do that, and what what's important about having first principles? Understanding one's first principles about any particular topic is a great way of solving problems, right? I mean, you know, and, and, and there are many ways to go about this. You know, look, the Ten Commandments was a set of first principles, right? Do this, don't do that. The golden rule is a first principle when it comes to how do I interact with other people and so forth. And I just felt that um, in order to transfer my way of thinking about things, my way of doing things, uh, to anybody who might benefit from that, it would help to you know write down um, would have become explicit first principles for me. You know, sort of starting points or starting observations when I go to analyze how do I work with people, how do I work on myself. Hmm. You you said it's important for people to know their first principles. What are first principles? Yeah. Like what what are they used for? So first principles guide the way we frame problems, for example. Okay, so, um, you know, a first principle can be, you know, in engineering that, uh, you know, if somebody's an engineer, a first principle might be that, you know, simple is better than complicated. Okay? Um, you know, less friction is better than more friction in a system, so forth. Okay, and so if we always go back to those it kind of redirects us into what it is we're trying to accomplish. Okay, so if I'm a mm. if I'm an engineer and I have found myself creating something overly complicated, I can remind myself, oh wait a minute, simple is usually better than complex. So how can I take some of the complexity out of this that I inadvertently created? Another mm. first principle could be is that I believe people are basically good versus I believe people are basically sinful. Right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, that shapes the way I look at my fellow 
man, right? My fellow mm-hmm. human. Um, I, if I have this view that you're basically sinful and evil, then, you know, I'm going to approach you in a very different way. I'm going to interpret your actions in a very different way than if I assume the opposite. Mm-hmm. This is, so this is different than like, um, I don't know, I think of music. First principle is not knowing music theory or your scales or how to play chords necessarily. Those are like foundational ideas of what it is to play Western music, but not necessarily principles. Right. So you might, you know, so there might, and I'm way outside of my depth here, but... um, It's like maybe first principles more in the genre. Yeah, right. So you could say, okay, well, what what, what is the blues? Okay, that's different from... Mm -hmm you know, the scales and the fundamentals of music and, and that sort of thing. Okay, so what's the difference between the blues and jazz and rock and rap and so forth? Okay, so, um, you know, there are some guidelines that we, you know, stick to in our way of interpreting what it is we're doing or going about what it mm. is we're doing. Yeah, okay. So let's start with uh, just a quick, We've we've talked about these terms several different times throughout the past episodes, but let's start with the four, the four bedrocks of the ATA approach. We have evolution, epistemology, instinctual biases, and the ATA Enneagram. So by bedrocks, what I'm thinking about is, I mean, it's just that, right? There are foundational bodies of knowledge that, you know, we want to think about that underlie these first principles that we're going to talk about. Okay, so we've spent a lot of time talking about epistemology. To me, if you're not an epistemologist, you're not a good thinker. And, you know, if you're not trying to develop better critical thinking, clear thinking, epistemological tools, you're cheating yourself. Number two is this idea of evolution, right? This idea that things do evolve and everything evolves and everything should evolve. And Evolution doesn't always mean for the better, right? Because you know, um, the, you know the 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 Neanderthal were bigger and stronger than Homo sapiens, okay? But they died out, right? They so they did not win the evolution game. The the Homo sapiens did, but everything evolves. And then when it comes to understanding the Enneagram uh, dynamics. It really, the, the foundations are really around these preferred strategies and the instinctual biases. And that's really the heart of what we do. There are some other things, core qualities and so forth. We'll get to those, but it's, you know, it always comes back to, okay, how does the, how does the strategy impact this? How does the instinctual bias impact this? That's always the starting point. Mm. So these are the initial like filters through which you pass any any sort of yeah. uh, question yeah. or conclusion. Yeah, and for me, these things are so embedded in the way I think about things that it, it's not like I refer to a checklist. Yeah, right. It's just right. Yeah, you know. And then and then as we're getting in into the first principles, so you have twelve written on this sheet and. Would you? Are you? I tried okay? to get it to nine. Yeah, you know, just yeah, for yes. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, <laughs> you know, um, apparently not everything can fit Go in ahead. nine categories. Um, yeah. <laughs> hot take. Uh, so let's let's talk about. We'll just briefly go through all all twelve. We won't bore our listeners too much, but 
Yeah. So the first one is the goal in life is to flourish. What does it mean to flourish, and why is it the goal? Yeah. So yeah, uh, you know, it's it's, it's funny. Um, as I'm hearing that, I even asked myself about the word goal. Is goal the right word? But mm. I would say that the, the the thing that matters most in life. Okay, what are we here for? What gives us purpose? And for me, it's this concept of you know uh, eudaimonic flourishing. Okay, um, you know, from the ancient Greeks, it's to um, it's to to evolve into, develop into the best that we can be, right? To, to flourish, to, to grow. Um, and of course, that involves a lot of other things such as, you know, being compassionate and being kind and so forth. But it really is about finding ways to fulfill our potential and flourish. Hmm. And, you know, you might sound, well, no duh, of course, but but people don't stop to think about, okay, wh- what am I doing here? Mm. You know, am I, am I just going to sit and watch TV all night, okay? Mm-hmm. Right? Or, or, or surf on, you know, the internet for, you know, Instagram stuff. Well, I don't know, maybe, but uh, there, yeah. there's, there could be something richer. Yeah. I think there's, there's a difference between enjoyment and flourishing. And yeah. I think that's perhaps... I think in, instinctually we know we want to flourish, but we often trade flourishing for some sort of pleasure or yeah. enjoyment. And that's, yeah, oftentimes flourishing has nothing to do with comfort or with pleasure. Yeah, You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, we've talked about exercise as, as a metaphor for a lot of things in the past. I mean, you know, sometimes being in the gym really sucks, right? But it will help us flourish. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, so the the next one is people are complex, multifaceted, and self-contradictory, and they display patterns. Yeah, you know, you know, and, and I think this is an important thing to keep in mind because, you know, one of the one of the things very often people fear when they're told, okay, we're gonna talk about personality styles today. They're going to say, well, wait a minute, people are complex, you know, uh, I'm not this way all the time, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody's unique, you know, and so forth. And they're right. And they're, you know, it's also right that people see patterns. You know, we know that some people are more introverted than others. Some people are more extroverted. Some people are night people. Some people are morning people. Some people are more happy. Some people are more dour. Um, And there are these patterns. So this is a fundamental first principle because, you know, when I'm teaching this to a group, you know, let alone an individual, I want to disarm them or disabuse them of the notion. I'm going to say, you know what? You're just like exactly one out of every other nine people on the planet, okay? Mm-hmm. No, you're not. People are complicated, okay? It also reminds us not to put too much weight on the Enneagram, right? Uh, to recognize the complexity of people and that that's consistent with the idea of the Enneagram being useful. Yeah, and it ceases to be useful <laughs> if, if you don't put that into account. Exactly right, because yeah. we fall into stereotyping and you know being overly simplistic and so forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So number three, we are evolved creatures and carry the strengths and vulnerabilities of our inherited characteristics. Again, this takes us back to the evolution idea, right? So that we are, you know, we have evolved and some of the, uh, some of the traps that we fall into are things that we're wired to fall into, right? So for example, we're wired to be on autopilot 
much of the time. We're wired to fall into confirmation bias and experience cognitive dissonance and, you know, all these other sort of things that we've talked about in past episodes. And if we don't recognize that this is part of our evolutionary heritage, because these things served as some reproductive advantage for our ancestors, well, then we, we really can't work on ourselves. We, we fall into demonizing ourselves for doing things that are just part of our nature and then working to overcome our nature rather than seeing it as some sort of evil or some sort of enemy that needs to be fought. Great. So number four is humans are explanation-making creatures. The better our explanations are, the more skillful we can be. Epistemology equips us to do this better. Yeah, again, fundamental, right? We we are story creating machines, and uh, that you know, I think Aristotle called us story making animals or something. Um, and this is how we make sense of life. There's that great great quote from. Uh, um, drawing a blank on the author's name now, it'll come back to me, but um, um, short slouching toward Bethlehem and all these other things. But anyway, so we tell ourselves stories to live. Okay? Joan Didion is the author. We tell ourselves story to live. Mm. And it's a great quote because it, it is. It's what our brain is doing all the time. It's, it's you know having us create explanations. Now, our explanations can either be automatic or they can be intentional. And what we work on is trying to make our explanations more intentional, meaning that we're conjecturing, okay? We are trying to explain them. We're trying to challenge our stories. But it always comes back to um, we grow when we create better stories. It's what the awareness to action process is all about, right? So if I redefine what it means to feel powerful to include being kind to people, that's a better story than being powerful means being a bullying jerk, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, So by taking control of that story and rewriting it is how we flourish. Yeah. Makes me think of the quote, we are not rational beings, we are rationalizing beings. Number five, the Enneagram is not a model of what we are. It is a model of what we do. Thus, it should be thought of as a model of verbs rather than nouns. Yeah, this is a, you know, and we've, I'm sure we've talked about, uh, you know, an ontological model versus a, a nominalist model um, in the past. I won't belabor those points anymore. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, your Enneagram type is not what you are. It's a label we give to people who do the things that you do in a very specific narrowly defined way. And what we mean by that is you, Seth Creekmore, we call you a four because you display the characteristics, primarily preferential use of the strategy of striving to feel unique. And that's what we just happen to, you know, we just happen to call those people fours. It's not in your DNA necessarily, right? It's not what you are. It's just what you do, and it's what we call people who do that. And again, it's a it's a fundamentally different perspective because it gives us a sense of ownership when we think of it that way, right? If I think, oh, geez, I'm an eight, and that's all there is to it, well, that's limiting me, okay? Uh, but if I think that, well, the reason that we call me an eight is because I have a tendency to do these things, well, that gives me the flexibility and the options to work on myself so that I can grow and change. 
I recently we were Mario and I were talking about um, the recent series on the Huberman Labs podcast uh, with Dr. Paul Conti. Um, just is if you have six hours, uh, sit down it's, and it's to these yeah, interviews. Yeah, we thought it's our long. podcast was but long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's really, really, really good, and it, it just affirmed to me over and over again. All they're talking about is verbs and constantly getting away from these these concepts of like this the states of happiness versus no happiness is is it's verbing like it's doing the things that make you happy there isn't something to tap into that is happiness it's just the things that you're doing to be happy simplistic but you you should go listen to it we'll have we'll have like the links in the show notes or something like that but that is what i think we're talking about is it gives you a sense of power yeah to act to get where you want to be instead of just hope you can find the thing you're looking for. Yeah. And, you know, and, and so whenever I hear people talking about returning to something, right, I, I get a little nervous because, or whenever I hear people talking about remembering who you are, for example, I, I get what, you know, it's one thing to say, okay, be present, pay attention, observe yourself, that sort of thing. That's one thing. But when you start thinking, remember who you are, it, it, again, it pulls us back. What we should be focused on is who are you becoming, right? Mm-hmm. What do you want to become? What are the things you need to do to become that person? Are you making progress toward becoming that person? And that requires attention and presence as well, but it's forward-moving rather than static or regressive. Mm-hmm. All right, number six, the instinctual bias shapes how we prioritize our needs. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is probably the shortest of the uh, first principles, but it might be the mm-hmm. tightest, I think, right? Because, you know, there's a lot of talk about, uh, you know, oh, the instincts are this, the instincts are that. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe no. But what they definitely are is a, you know, kind of a system for prioritizing what's important to us. Okay. You and I are both navigators, and so we walk into a room and we will see very similar things and find very similar things interesting because they're what we prioritize. Whereas if we had a preserver with us or a transmitter with us, they would notice and prioritize and value other things. So the real thing to keep in mind about the instinctual biases is that they, it's a system of prioritizing and they uh, shape what's important to us. I know I promised not to derail us, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> it isn't me, folks. It's not me, Maria Jose. If you ever listen to this, it wasn't my fault. Yeah. Um, I remember in, in the certification program that I went through with the other Fathoms people and friends and whatnot. And plug here, certification program coming up. Make sure oh, to, that's go, right. to yeah. go to the <laughs> website. We got a link in the yeah. show notes as well for you to Great. jump in there. So, but... I remember you saying, I guess kind of crudely, you admitted, but um, that <laughs> maybe not crude. Is this going to get us right an explicit word, rating again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> the, instinctual, the instinctual biases are what you want and strategies are how you get it. Do you still stand yeah. by that? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Here's what's I, what I've always struggled with a little bit is, what I want is to be unique. That that isn't that doesn't feel like it describes my strategy of how to get navigating. Does that make sense? So 
in so so let, let me try to refine this what you want is to feel unique why do you want to feel unique because that feeling shapes your thoughts and it shapes your behaviors and what are your thoughts about getting your needs met what are your behaviors actions toward getting your needs met okay so in that sense it's you know a strategy by definition is a way of achieving an end okay so i view yes striving to feel unique is in a sense a need but it's a need more for a purpose okay the purpose of pursuit of adapting to my environment which is getting my instinctual needs met right that's what adapting to our environment's all about is getting my needs met so it's a bit of a hair splitting and i you know and i'm not going to argue if you know we say well you know feeling unique is a priority too yeah i prioritize that strategy over the other nine but hmm. the reason i have that strategy is to get my needs met and all of our needs fall into those three categories of preserving navigating and transmitting so mm -hmm. yeah. that's that's an acceptable answer for now okay all right so moving on to number 7 the strategies shape how we seek to satisfy the needs we prioritize we habitually rely on one of those strategies substantially more than the other eight kind of just talked about this but yeah but yeah, i'll tell you why this is important because it, it, it it's what defines our enneagram type right and you know because th this was one of the big challenges i had when i first started working with the enneagram you know people would say well, well, well you know what is it, well, ultimately what does it mean to be an eight right ultimately what does it mean because you know people would talk about you know well eights are like this and fours are like that and blah 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 yeah but what's what's the core of this and the reason I came up with this idea of the strategies was to give an answer to the best answer I had on what's at the core of these things, right? There are other things that are important for sure, but this is my differentiating core of what it means to be a particular type. That of all the nine strategies, you know, which I may use to greater or lesser degree, one of them is the one that I use more than any of the other Eight. All right. So number eight, the strategies are value neutral. We express them either adaptively or, or maladaptively. Stress causes us to constrict our application of our preferred strategy and use it in more maladaptive ways. Lots of big words in there, Mario. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's funny when, the, you know, you read the early literature on the Enneagram, uh, you read, uh, you know, for example, you read uh, Naranjo's Character and Neurosis, which I think is a great book. It's, it's kind of an indispensable book for anybody who really wants to understand the Enneagram. It's really, really negative, right? I mean, it's really about the negative aspects of the personality. And then for a while you had this, you know, there was actually a book at one point called The Positive Enneagram, which I, I never read. But um, it was, let's look at all the bright of sides. Of the, well, <laughs> What's the point uh, of that? <laughs> no, well, it, no, but it's because I... Maybe that's coming from me, you know. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, right. Yeah, no, I, it, it, it was more than that. It was, it was knowing the provenance of the book that left mm -hmm. me without interest. Um, but the truth is that the types are neither good nor bad, right? The strategy is neither good nor bad. It's just in what way do we express it? In what way do we use it, right? So there's the, you know, the Shakespeare line, you know, there's nothing either good or bad, but, you know, thinking makes it so. Well, this is, you know, more about how we 
apply it. Do I apply striving to feel powerful in ways that help me flourish or not? And that's what matters. Mm -hmm. Number nine, the core qualities are the under the surface forces that shape our experience of the world. Yeah, this is a little... um, you're not sold on this one yet. No, I'm sold on the idea. I, th- I think as, sure. as I reread it, the language needs could be refined a little bit here. But fundamentally, you know, so even though the strategies are the bedrock of this, for me, there's another Enneagram uh, related to personality, and that's the personality of the core qualities. And, you know, the core qualities are my version of the essential aspects that um, Almas, you know, talks about, that Sandra Maitre wrote about, that, you know, some people talk about when they talk about essence. And, you know, because I don't take an essentialist perspective, I ask myself, okay, there's something here that I really like, but what is this? And so these are kind of some fundamental qualities of the human condition you know, point one is um, objectivity, point two, compassion, point three, value, et cetera, et cetera, that exist in us in an immature form. They're part of what it, they're part of the human experience, right? Qualities in humans. And they're under the surface in the sense that we have to do work before we start to become aware of the impact of the stunting of those, right? It, it's a little bit, it's, it's less obvious than how I misuse my strategy, for example, okay? So if we go with the eight and the core quality is vitality, well, it's the stunting of vitality that's below the surface of what the eight is usually aware of that is causing a lot of their problems, okay? But we have to work with some other things, such as rewriting the strategy, practicing the accelerators, and so forth, before I can start to nurture that quality of vitality. Uh, when I say it's under the surface, it also is in the sense that it's not something I usually teach to my corporate clients, right? It might come up on occasion, but you know, 10% of the time, maybe. So I don't teach it to them but I'm always aware of it, right? It's under, for me, it's kind of below the waterline of the iceberg that I know is an issue for them, but not something I'm going to talk about until we get there, if we do. Mm-hmm. And we haven't talked about the core qualities yet on the pod, but we're getting to it. I think we're going to hit it yeah. sometime after we get done with the subtypes. Is that correct? Yeah, we got to finish up the subtypes, and uh, then I think uh, we're going to do an episode or two leading into the conversation of the core qualities, but it's coming up soon. Number 10, we're almost there. Growth is generally incremental and occurs by working on our explanations first. So it begins as a cognitive process. Yeah, so this is, this is uh, again, tricky because, you know, people will talk about, oh, well, what about somatic training having an impact on you and so forth? And, you know, and those are good things, right? Uh, you know, relaxation exercises, exercise itself has an impact on us and so forth, okay? But every change in us starts with some sort of insight, some sort of intellectual insight, even if it's just, you know what, I need to exercise, right? You, you mm-hmm. know, that's, that starts with the cognitive process. Now, to make real change, to change our, um, to change our emotional reactions, to change our physical reactions to things, it helps to start with observing our stories 
about things. So for example, if we, you know, we want to start exercising more, well, it's one thing to say, well, get out and exercise, you'll feel better. Do this physical practice and it will have some sort of, you know, um, um, positive impact on you. Sure, but I've got to deal with the narratives I tell myself that keep me from exercising, okay, before I'll, mm -hmm. you know, get into the practice of doing that. So, so for me, if you want to change the way you feel, change how you think first, and an example I use of this, and mm -hmm. it's probably not a, you know, a, a kind one, but, you know, somebody, say somebody calls me and says, you know, your your mother just passed away, right? Well, I'm going to be distraught, right? I, oh, my gosh, you know, my, I love my mother. Right? That's horrible. I'm going to feel bad. But if my mother's sitting right next to me and, mm -hmm. you know, I can see her moving and breathing and all this stuff and somebody says this to me, well, I'm I'm not going to feel that way, right? So it's my it's my knowledge of a situation that shapes how I feel about something very often. This is not to say I'm aware of everything that's impacting me or I'm aware of how I'm feeling of all the time. But in mm -hmm. order to get to working with that how I'm feeling, I've got to start by observing, which again is a cognitive process. So for me, it always starts yeah. with thinking. I was working with a client last night, and they were saying they were talking about how these tracks of shame and failure and all these sort of things which just play in their head and um, they're going through a really stressful time right now family members in the hospital just a bunch of different stuff and um, so we were talking about like what what are those things that allow you to expand your view expand the options of what could be real and they were saying the thing that they've been saying to themselves recently is well, this is what we're doing right now and not assigning a value to it, not yeah. not trying to change the situation. It's just, this is what we're doing right now. Yes. And so we came up with a few more of those of like, this is what we're doing right now. And sometimes those shame messages start playing. It's, this is not what we're doing right now. I don't have time <laughs> to deal and feel these emotions and process them, whether whatever. I have something I need to do. We can deal with that later, but this is not what we're doing right now. Yeah, and and you know, we do want to come back to those things, Absolutely. right? So you know, and and when we do, you know, when shame, for example, is persistent with us, the only thing to do about it, you can't feel your way out of that, right? All you can do is ask yourself, well, why am I feeling shame, and is that true or not? Is this mm -hmm. is this story I have about myself true or not? And if it's not true. Well, let me rewrite my story about myself so I don't feel that shame anymore. And if it is true, well, then let me fix these things that are making me feel this way, right? But it mm -hmm. starts with a, a cognitive analysis. I'm very influenced by, uh, you know, Aaron Beck's cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Where you just, you know, you, you look at the stories you tell yourself and challenge whether they're true or not. And if they are true, then you do things to change the stories, you know, change right. your actions so that the stories change. You don't have to believe what's going on in your head. Yeah. No. no. Yeah. I, I will say in order to change that, that story, yes. Mm -hmm. Like, is that true? Is that not true? But I think there is something about, no, you can't feel your way out of shame, but you can, at least for me, in order to make the process of changing that story actually work and be manageable, I first have to sit within the, the sensation of shame and, 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 allow myself to let it be there instead of constantly trying to fight it or enhance it in some way as I'm prone to do as a four. 
yeah. um, is kind of fixate on those negative emotions. So like there yeah. is there is some level of I need to feel those sensations, but that's not going to change it necessarily. Ultimately, it's just going to make it more manageable so that I can address the change. Yes. And it starts with a decision, a cognitive decision to yeah. sit with the feeling, right? And, and the and knowledge that I don't have to continue. Exactly. All right. So number 11. Uh, uh, one thing I want to say, I think some we skipped over in number 10 is the incremental part of it. I'm a big fan of incremental change. I, I'm not a big, I'm always suspect of anything that has some revolutionary impact on people or claims to. You know, the, the brain is a physical organism. Change happens through re rewiring the brain. It's not that easy to rewire the brain quickly unless there's some sort of medical intervention or, you know, something like that. So I, you know, I, I think we always have to be careful about assuming that change will happen too quickly and in too large a way. Uh, change tends to be incremental. All right, number 11, growth is assisted by applying the ATA process and practicing the ATA Enneagram of accelerators. Just, so you're saying that the only way to grow is through the ATA process. If you're using anything else, you're using it. That's not you're not going to grow. <laughs> well, I, again, these exclusive these, rights to growth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So so with all these things, Creek, they're they're again they're the way we do things, right? Mm -hmm. we're, we're, I'm not suggesting that anybody else needs to have the same first principles as we do, right? Mm -hmm. I I think my first principles are better for me and for the audience mm -hmm. that I work with. But, you know, there's lots of ways to go about this. Um, but for So the, you're not trying to create a religion? I'm so, I, I thought, <laughs> that's that's what I signed on for. I'm yeah. waiting for the offering to come in, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm... Uh, I'm uh, not trying to create religion. Yeah, you know, okay. It just right. reminds me of the story of Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard, you know, when, uh, uh, I don't know if you know that story. It's like, yeah, there's not enough money in fiction. They, you know, where the real money is, is in religion. So he started one. You know, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, no disrespect to my Scientologist friends out there. Uh, where were we? Uh, oh, yeah. So, the, 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 no, for me, these are just our two f f fundamental tools for uh, for working. And again, if we go back to health, you know, we prefer weightlifting rather than body weight exercises, you know. I mean, both great, but here's how we do it. And, you know, the awareness to action process, again, is a specific way of rewriting our story, you know, uh, or, you know, becoming aware first of what our stories is, what our patterns are and so forth, rewriting those stories and then creating a basic action plan to create change, right? Real, real simple, but important. And particularly it's that authenticity piece, right? It's that rewriting the story that's so fundamental. And then there are a set of practices uh, that we call accelerators that are, you know, good for each of us. There are nine of them. They're good for everybody, but it helps to, you know, know which one is most critical for, you know, which uh, personality type. So they're just our fundamental tools that we use. Lots of great tools, you know, or, uh, you know, my friend Tom Condon, you know, uses NLP stuff and whatnot. And, you know, that's fine. This is what we do. All right. Number 12, the final one, the ATA Enneagram of performance competencies are a set of practices that help develop the per develop the personal and interpersonal effectiveness that lead to a skillful and flourishing life. It's easy for you to say. Um, <laughs> so my 
so, so the awareness to action Enneagrams, you know, I think we've talked about this in an earlier episode where, you know, Achazo had 108 or 109 Enneagons that were, you know, revealed to him. Uh, we have, let's see, the Enneagram of uh, strategies, the Enneagram of accelerators, Enneagram of core qualities, and then the Enneagram of personal competencies. You used to refer to them as leadership competencies, but they apply to all aspects of our life. So kind of created this model over time of here are the things that I have found, you know, to be helpful in becoming more skillful in life. Okay. Because, you know, look, for me, if, you know, and this is, I, I think this is where a lot of quote unquote self-help work falls short is that it, thinks about, okay, well, how can I feel better? How can I think better? How can I be a better person? But it doesn't say, okay, well, what do I do to be more skillful in life? Okay, the, you know, the Buddhists, what are some practices that, you know, we can put out into the world? The Buddhists, the Buddhists have what they call skillful means, right? So what are the, you know, the techniques we use for engaging in the world? And so we have here there are 12 also, but uh, correlating to the nine points and the three instinctual biases that are capacities that we find are helpful to develop um, as we go through life. We'll get to those down the road too after we go through the core qualities and accelerators. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got lots to talk about in this podcast, there's, folks. There's, you, know, we're, you, know, this isn't, <laughs> you know, this isn't a flash in the pan. We've got a good 50, you know, 75 more episodes to do. Gosh, yeah. <laughs> I was just signing up for nine episodes, but <laughs> <laughs> turns out we're on episode, what is it, 50, 57? 50, th- yeah, yeah, about yeah, that. 57. Yeah. Woo! Anyways, yeah. um, so I'm sure we'll, audience will, uh, listener, let's do listener. Um Listener, I'm sure we'll be touching on these further. Listener, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> yeah. singular, but it's also more intimate, right? So it's we're, it, yeah, we're yeah. only talking to you, listener. We're not talking yeah. to some massive, faceless <laughs> audience out there. Yeah, yeah I, a pet peeve of mine, and I, I'll admit that I do do this sometimes. Of like saying, "Hey, friends," I'm like, "They're not my friends." Like, <laughs> I'm sure I would thoroughly enjoy you if I met you, but like, I have no context of who you are. Right. Or if we'd get along. But I mean, yeah. Anyways, friends, listeners. It is funny. I had somebody at the IEA conference come up to me and say, "Oh, hey, Mario, how you doing?" You know, and uh, and then she said, "Oh, wait, you don't know me. You know, uh, I I know you, but you don't know me." You know, so <laughs> yeah. it's kind of a nice feeling. You know, I feel a little bit special. I've got yeah. you know, big uh, shot, know, a, a faceless horde of one who uh, knows who I am, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yep, there it is. Um, <laughs> Well, listeners, you lovely people, I'll go with that because that's for sure. If they're listening to the ATA, I'm sure you're lovely. And uh, we will talk to you next week and uh, have a good one. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast.